So this is the first full day of the retreat. <coughs> and you probably notice, you know, the energy has already a little bit settled, but there's most likely a more settling happening over the next few days. And to really, you know, kind of take in this opportunity which we have now for one week to not turn inwards and uh, you know, seeing the teaching happening within our own body and mind and using the template of the Noble Eightfold Path as a way you know, to, to kind of dissect experience and also you know, to lay out the teaching in a rather kind of simple and very essential way. Because you know the essence of the teaching of the Buddha is actually very simple as it's expressed in the Pali Canon. The Buddha was saying, you know, I'm teaching suffering and the end of suffering. And I think that's why we're all here, because in some way or another we have experienced, you know, stress or dissatisfaction, suffering, or all different kinds of, uh, you know, not having our expectations come through and starting to feel, you know, that we need a teaching, you know, which brings us more into sync with the way things really are. And the Noble Eightfold Path is <clears throat> it's a very first teaching which the Buddha has given after his enlightenment when he was uh, teaching his five friends with whom he had practiced before. And it's the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, or the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma. This was the first teaching he gave a few, I think a week or so, or a few weeks after his enlightenment. He was giving the teaching in Saranath, which is outside of Varanasi, about an hour with the taxi. And it's in a very much the essence of the Buddha's teaching. It speaks about the Noble Eightfold Path which transcends the two extremes of indulgence and self-mortification. Or you know, being in, in modern parlance, you know, being carried away and identifying with our desires, or suppressing and not or turning away from what moves us. And both of those, this is the two extremes, and the Noble Eightfold Path isn't a compromise between those two, but the Noble Eightfold Path transcends both of those extremes, the dualities, and brings us to the truth of the way things really are, and uh, that would be, you know, in the Pali Canon expressed as, as the three characteristics impermanence, non-satisfactoriness, and not-self or emptiness of all phenomena. And you probably have all seen, 
you know, the Dhamma Chakra, the symbol of the, the Dhamma wheel, which you can you know, see on temples or in Dhamma books. And it's like a, a wheel with eight spokes, and those eight spokes you know, depict the eight components of the, of the path, which we will speak about over, those, over the week. And you know they are not kind of uh, sequential steps like you do first one and then do the second one, but it's more like it's like the strands of a cable. You know when they are kind of tied, intertwined together, this becomes much stronger than just each individual strand. And uh, you know usually. The Noble Eightfold Path is laid out with a right view at the beginning of, of the path, which, you know, and one way of how we can speak about right view is, is the understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Or, you know, or it can also simply be, you know, having, experiencing suffering and thinking, you know, that can't be all this life is all about. There's just some information I'm not, I'm missing, you know. It's that, it's that clear seeing in a moment there is something more to this. And that is what originally you know, gets people interested in some kind of, of teaching. It was certainly, for me, it was like that. And that's a certain amount of right view already right there. But then you know, as we as we keep on investigating the teaching, uh, it starts to open up, and and then often the next you know insight is is uh, we need to lay a really strong foundation for our practice if we want that practice to go anywhere, and then sila or ethics is then often you know the next step from there. And if you look on your little sheet which we gave you with the mantra, you can see there is the, the three components in the black circle. And uh, so right understanding or right view, this is the same, uh, is here at the beginning. And that's the wisdom uh, part of the path. Because it's the it passes its eight areas of practice, and they are grouped into three trainings: training of in wisdom, training in ethics, and training in concentration or stability of mind. And in terms of practice, you know, we start with 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 the ethical training by taking the precepts, which we have already all done. And then there is those three areas of practice, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Right speech won't be a big problem during the retreat because we have no silence. Right action is not much you can do wrong if you just show up on time. <laughs> and right livelihood, you are all yogis now for this week, so it's all very right livelihood. And then right view or right understanding. This is what originally sets us on the path. And right thought 
or right intention, it's sometimes also called, is an intention which is informed by right view. And then there's also the, the last um, of the three trainings, the training about concent concentration. And you know, usually I don't like to use the word concentration for samadhi so much, but rather using uh, stability of mind. And that consists of right effort, right mindfulness, and uh, samma samadhi. And, and the word samma can be translated in many different ways. Not only the word right, but also skillful, wholesome, wise, healthy, proper, best. So that's many different ways we can translate that word. And generally, you know, it's this path is a protection from getting lost in, in confusion of you know of what our minds throws up, you know, all our the patterns which are operating in our mind. If we have the noble eightfold path, we have a very, very clear practice and then even you know all of those things are going on in the body and in the mind because we have a clear template of practice we can see what's going on but we still operate according to this <coughs> practice and then over time you know those layers of confusion of ignorance those patterns in the mind they get slowly but surely uh, you know let go of. It's an increasing purification. And through that increasing purification, you know, the truth becomes more apparent as we go along this path. So it's not, you know, that uh, there's anything which we need to gain, but it's rather a letting go of layers and layers of confusion through practicing this path. And then the truth of the way things really are becomes apparent by itself. Just you know, like now we see the sun rising over there. That's like an example like that. You know, in the, when at six o'clock or so there was no sun out, you couldn't really see what's going on here in this room. But now you know, we had, nothing has happened other than you know the light is shining through because those layers of ignorance of confusion. They're getting thinned out through walking the path. And then the way things really are just becomes easier and easier to connect with. You know, it's a, as, as Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi says, it's so beautiful in his book about the Neighborhoodful Path, he says, it's a knowing which is also a seeing. So it's, 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 a, you know, it starts with information, for example, you know, me speaking to you, or you reading a book, or anything like that. And then, you know, through the practice, and through uh, listening, and, and, and thinking about what you're hearing or reading, it becomes knowledge. But then through, the, through practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, that knowledge becomes integrated it from the head it drops into the heart 
and then it, it becomes, you know, what we call in Buddhism wisdom or panya. Or you can also say, you know, it's you first you you read it and then you experience it in the meditation or you know, in a walking meditation, sitting meditation, or any time, you know, when you are really in the present moment with your experience, and then that knowledge becomes an intuitive knowing. And then it's you know it's a seeing. So whatever you know we are experiencing in our life, we have that understanding, you know, of the way things really are is part of the seeing. And then, you know, you might see the same objects you have seen maybe 10 years before, but it's seen in a different way, it's seen in a much bigger context. For example, you know, like having a beautiful object, beautiful <coughs> glass to drink out, you know, before we were like, oh my god, this is so beautiful. and. But then later on, you know, if the practice is deepening and integrated, then we, we have this beautiful glass, we enjoy it, but in the moment when we are drinking, we are also knowing that this glass will break one day. And that's not something, you know, we are thinking about, but it's just a much fuller understanding of the way things are. And because of that much fuller understanding, there is much less stress in life because we cannot be surprised, you know, by the glass breaking any longer because we already have made that part of our understanding of the way things are. And I think through walking the path, this is exactly, you know, what we are cultivating because it's not, it can't be learned, you know, through gathering a lot of information or a lot of experience, but it has to be also really deeply digested and you know, and then the whole system, our whole being starts changes and adjusts to the way things really are. Because, you know, our suffering, the stress isn't like in the objects out there, but it's in the way how we are meeting the objects of our experience. And you know, the eight areas of the path, the eight components. In a right view, as I said, you know, for example, experiencing suffering and then having, having a, a, an inkling, you know, that can't be all there is, and then seeking out some kind of a teaching. And, you know, the right view is, is a mundane right view and super mundane right view. And the mundane right view is simply, you know, knowing actions have consequences. And once we understand that, you know, really deeply, actions have consequences and according to the Buddha's teaching, you know, death is not the end. Then there's a sense of kind of, well, you know, I... I probably should inform myself a bit more about all of this life. And that, you know, can be like a strong search, you know, where we feel really kind of a sense of even fear, you know. Or it can be just like a, a relief or so, you know, suddenly having a bigger picture and, and feeling that there is, it all makes sense. And then that leads us to the right intention or right thought, which is based on right view, as I said, and informed by right view. 
and then you know cultivating right thought which is thought free from desire, free from ill will and free from harm. And just starting to look at our thoughts and seeing, you know. It's not that we force our thoughts to be different, but we just see what they are. And also, you know, the whole the path isn't about forcing ourselves to have a different experience, but it's more like seeing our experience in the light of what is skillful. And then if we, if we look at experience like that, it starts to change. The next one, right speech, is about, you know, not speaking in any way which causes suffering. I mean, it's a very high bar, you know, because right speech is very difficult practice. On retreat it isn't so difficult, but outside of retreat it can be. And this is mainly about, you know, not lying, not uh, using harsh speech, not using divisive speech and not, you know, frittering time away by, by chattering, just or idle conversations, just to fill the time. Right action is mainly the first three precepts. Not harming, not taking what is not given, and also, you know, using uh, sexuality in a responsible way. And then right livelihood is again, you know, earning one's uh, needs, one's uh, life by having a livelihood which doesn't cause harm. You know, and if over time, you know, we might kind of see certain areas in our lives where changes would be good. And it's, it's really not about, you know, uh, judging what's, what we are doing or what others are doing, but just kind of seeing things in a bigger context and, and, and seeing where we need to make adjustments. Right effort is mainly preventing unwholesome mind states and cultivating wholesome mind states. And effort, you know, is about balance. It's often compared with uh, tuning an instrument, you know, the strings of a, of a lute. If they are too tight, it doesn't sound right. And if they are too loose, it doesn't sound right either. So finding that balance between those two extremes. And then right mindfulness. Mindfulness is the, is the key, you know, for, for the practice. The key of seeing clearly what's happening, being in the present, being with our experience rather than being lost in interpretations about our experience. And you know, in order to be with our experience, we have to have that resilience to be with feeling. And that's why, you know, we need a lot of uh, reminders to come back to the simplicity of our experience and to be with the feelings. And then the last one is, uh, Sama Samadhi, or often, you know, has been translated as right concentration. But concentration is in, you know, in our culture, is a bit more like, you know, sitting down and doing the taxes or something like that. It's not like that. But Sama Samadhi means, you know, a mind which is focused and stable and is really staying with the object, the chosen object. 
also Collectedness, Stillness, Undistractedness. And it's the result of, of continuous mindfulness. So that's the eight areas and they are like the intertwining strands of a cable which becomes you know ever stronger and stronger. And also you know the path which I find very beautiful is often in the in the suttas it's, it's compared with the path to an ancient city. You know somebody is you know wandering around in the wilderness and suddenly uh, the person, you know, stumbles upon an, an ancient path and then he follows that or she follows that path and comes to an ancient city which is, you know, all overgrown with, with the jungle but the splendor of the city is still there and the Buddha said that's the, you know, how he speaks about the, the teaching that he hasn't been, you know, inventing something new, but he has rediscovered this ancient past, this ancient city, which have the Buddhas, you know, which have been before Shakyamuni Buddha, they all have, you know, discovered this ancient city, and then it got, over time it got lost, and then it got rediscovered. And uh, that's a sutta in the Samyutta Nikaya, it's called the Nagara Sutta, the city. And, you know, it's, it's the path which leads to a full understanding of the way things are. And, you know, you can imagine, you know, this retreat as being, you know, walking the path in, in a jungle and, and cutting away, you know, what is it, what, what is, what kind of clouds the, the seeing. And then ending up, you know, at this beautiful, great, splendid seeing, you know, which is not anymore covered over by ignorance. And you know, the most important thing is to understand, you know, that the past is is transcending all details, all stories but the components of the path are not arbitrary. So even, you know, it leads to a complete letting go of details in the sense of our preferences, our past conditioning, but in terms of those eight areas, you know, those eight strands which make up this strong cable, they are, those details need to be understood because they all have an important function. And maybe you know we can have a look into the in the chanting book on page forty-nine there is there is the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta actually. On, on the right hand side it's in English, on the left hand side in Pali. And I'm just gonna read out a few lines. The Buddha says, This is the first teaching of the Tathagata. Tathagata is a other word you know, for, for the Buddha, on attaining the unexcelled perfect enlightenment. Here is the perfect turning of the incomparable wheel of truth, the wheel of Dhamma, 
inestimable wherever it is expounded in the world. Disclosed here are the two extremes and the middle way with the Four Noble Truths and the purified knowledge and vision pointed out by the Lord of Dhamma, which is the Buddha. So the two extremes, as I said before, you know, between indulgence and, and self-mortification or self-torture, the middle way, which is not a compromise, but it transcends both extremes, and the Four Noble Truths. And actually, you know, the fourth Noble Truth is actually the Noble Eightfold Path. And the first component of the Noble Eightfold Path is, is right view, which is an understanding of the Four Noble Truths. So there are two principles, you know, which are interlocked, and they make up an indivisible unity. So the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path, they are a one unit. And then, let us chant together this sutta proclaiming the supreme independent enlightenment that is widely renowned as the turning of the wheel of the Dhamma. The wheel with the eight spokes, you know, the eight components of the path. And then, uh, I just want to... And what because? Because is then the middle way realized by the Tathagata which gives vision and understanding, which leads to calm, penetration, enlightenment to Nibbana. It is just this noble eightfold path, namely right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Truly bhikkhunis, this middle way, understood by the Tathagata, produces vision, produces knowledge and leads to calm, penetration, enlightenment to Nibbana. So you know, during this retreat, if you feel like you'd like to read something and don't get out your novels and <laughs> newspapers, but just read this sutta. You know, maybe every day once, I think that would be really very helpful you know, to kind of let that teaching sink in. And it's, you know, it's the most important of the suttas, and that's why we have it here in, in the chanting book. And maybe, you know, what I also want to mention is, and I'm sure you have also already gotten that by what I was saying, is it's not just like an ethical path this noble for path, but it, it's a path which leads to full awakening. Ethics are part of it, of course, you know, because there have been people in the past, you know, who tried to use meditation without a foundation of ethics, and it does really water the path down, and it's much less effective. You know, having at least the five precepts as a foundation is really important, for this path to take off, so to say. And, but it's not all the path is about, but it's just the beginning. So it's not possible you know, to separate meditation from ethics if you want it to be a liberating path that belongs all together. And it's not, you know, because we want to be uh, 
good boys or good girls, but it's just because that's the way things are. It's just, it's just part of the truth. And uh, I'm sure you know all of you, you have understood that because otherwise you wouldn't come on a monastic retreat. But it's generally, you know, what, uh, when meditation is taught like a stress reduction or things like that, you know, then it's, it's that part, that part of the, of the path is cut out and is left to one side because it's not very attractive for lots of people, doesn't sell very well. <laughs> but then also it's not real, it's, it's not the real thing. It doesn't really work that well. But it's, a, it's also a, a way to start, you know, and then if people really find to have benefits from the meditation, they might get interested to want to know a bit more, you know, how, how they could actually empower it. And, and having a foundation of sila is, is a great empowerment because we, we are not wasting energy. And then, you know, I'm soon kind of finishing with speaking today. And then maybe I just want to shortly speak about the Ovada Padimokha, which is uh, also very essential early teaching the Buddha has been giving to the Sangha. And he was saying, you know, avoid what is unskillful, do what is good and purify the mind. And that's exactly also, you know, what, what the Noble Eightfold Path is all about. Avoid what is unskillful, do what is good and purify the mind. That's what needs to be done, you know, if we want to go in the right direction. And the refugees and precepts are the foundation for that. The Noble Eightfold Path is the template. And then we just need to practice it. The Noble Eightfold Path is, is a practice. And then I, I'd like to end with a poem by one of the uh, enlightened bhikkhunis. <coughs> and uh, we have a friend uh, at a local vihara who is, work, who is currently working on a contemporary translation of the Terigata. And I'm, gonna, I'm reading from his translation. And that's uh, a poem which depicts very well the path. I find it very um, inspiring. And the bhikkhuni who speaks here is called Vichaya. When everyone else was meditating, I'd be outside, circling the hall. Finally, I went to confess, I'm hopeless, I said. The elder man smiled, just keep going. Nothing stays in orbit forever. If this circling is all you have, why not make this circling your home? I did as she told me and went on circling the hall. If you find yourself partly in and partly out, if you find yourself drawn to this path and also drawing away, I can assure you, you are in good company. Just keep going. Sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. And I'm sure you can all relate to that. Sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line.
because the path is, you know, sometimes also spoken about, it's like a spiral. You revisit the same issues again and again, but going deeper and deeper into it, you know, or escaping into reality rather than from it. By going deeper and deeper, your know, next layer, next layer, next layer, dropping away and leaving and leaving more space for the light to shine through. You know, that's what I wish for all of you and for myself. And you know, we have a very clear teaching, we just need to really put the ego on the line, you know, and be willing to. experience what needs to be experienced, you know, for ignorance to drop away. So, please keep going. The most, sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. Now we can sit for another 15 minutes and then Another body is going to give some instructions on walking meditation. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.